message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. She's still on the show, isn't she? First service, we had a little one back there, and I said hi to him, and he lunged to me, and he wouldn't go back to his mom. Is that cool or what? That's the grandfather touch, huh? I don't usually wear... Christian t-shirts, but you know I like this one. I like to give Jesus advertisement. Jesus saved my life. He saved my life. Now, this message started out like 20 minutes long this morning, or I thought it was going to be 20 minutes, and it doubled because the Holy Spirit kept moving. So, there was a guy. He was 55 years old. He had been married five years. He had five children. He made exactly $55,555.55 every year. So number five was his lucky number. One day someone came to him and said, hey, if you didn't hear, a horse called Special Five is running in the fifth race at the Kentucky Derby today. He went down and bet $5,555 on number five. And you know what happened? He came in fifth. He didn't get it. Say with me, he didn't get it. Today I want to talk to you about our main calling in life. Our purpose for being on the earth is to win the loss, to make more people like us. Now when I say I'm going to talk about sharing your faith, for some people, it kind of puts a bitter taste in their mouth. And they go, oh, I know where this is going See, the first thing that some of us think about is that we have to become overbearing. We have to become obnoxious. We have to become like the Jehovah Witnesses, knocking on doors, invading people's private place. And that's not true. You know, the way I got into ministry, in part, is by going door to door. I went door to door all the time, by myself. I'm going to do a seminar on how to be a pastor someday. And you start out going out there knocking on doors by yourself. I worked all these neighborhoods back here. I went out on Saturdays myself knocking on doors telling people about Jesus. I was a go-getter from day one. I remember one time I went out and uh, I went to knock on a door and it was open and it pushed open. Here's a guy on the couch in his underwear. Looked like a hell's angel. He was not happy with me. Oh, he cussed me out and told me where to go. And I went back that day and I thought, God, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. But then on another occasion, I remember I I, I knocked the door and I heard a lot of commotion and I saw these eyes. There was a window way above the door looking out and I heard, I guess, whatever they were standing on fell. I mean, it sounded horrible. I heard, you know, I don't like this. I went back one day after going door to door and I said, you know what, God, I'm not so sure I like the guy doing that. I was invading people's privacy on a Saturday, but I did it. One time I had a really cool one. You've heard of this before, but I knocked at the door. What is it? I had, I had 
two or three young people with me. I was training them on, to go door to door, believe it or not. He was radical. I was radical. And we had one track left. We all got together in a group. I said, one track left, one little thing we're handing out. Let's pray right now that God will tell us where to go. And we were praying. And I go, what about that house in the corner? Two of them said, I feel like that house. Let's go to that house. And I went over. And I don't know if this guy was drunk, high, or what. But he answered the door. And he goes, hello. I said, hey, we're here talking about Christ today. Have you got five minutes? You're talking about God? <laughs> ah, whatever, man. I said, can I come in your house? Oh, come on in. And I talked to him for a while. And I said, you know, he said, I don't believe God's real. I said, would you pray a prayer with me? Oh, sure. <laughs> I'll pray any prayer. Come on, tell me what to pray. I said, say after me, dear God. He said, dear God, if you're real. If you're real, prove yourself. Show yourself to me. And then he, silence. I looked over, and he was just weeping, just weeping. I said, what's the matter? He said, I don't know. I don't know. He said, when I said that phrase, something came over me. I ended up leading to the Lord. He brought five relatives over and led them all to the Lord. So there was some good experiences. Uh, but all in all, uh, we don't want to be that person. You know the person I'm talking about. They got Christian bumper stickers all over their car. They always have a Christian t-shirt on. Handful of Bible tracts. And they try to get people to pray the prayer. And they're going to stuff it down your throat. I mean, you bring people to their house and they're on them like this, man. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know that person. You try to avoid them. You dread seeing them come. And I get that. But we've also been instructed by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. Look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of you are familiar with this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go way back. If you've been here for 10 years, you'll remember this illustration. I was... I was given this illustration when I was very young. I don't know why. It seemed like I always woke up with these illustrations, and one day I woke up. And I want to compare what I'm telling you to do to this little illustration. Let's say there's four or five of us kids in the family, and one day Dad comes to us, and he owns a shoe factory. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going on a lengthy trip for several years. I'm leaving the shoe factory with you kids. After several years, he comes back. He says, okay. Let's go to the shoe factory. Uh, I want to see my shoes. See your shoes. Yeah. You made shoes while I'm gone, right? Huh? Shoe factory? Shoes? Well, we kept the conveyor belt going. We kept it oiled and greased. We kept the weeds out of the yard. We even painted the building. But you wanted shoes? Yeah. Shoe factory. God expects us to be planting seeds and winning souls. And when he comes back, that might be the first question he asks us. Did you pray for those people at work? Did you, you know, share your faith when you got the chance? Were you a part of the process? Now, I'm going to look at two passages. First, let's look at a, a very all-familiar passage, but we need to talk about it again. John chapter 4, and let's read verse 3 and 4. Jesus left Judea and went away into Galilee again. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. 
Why did he have to? Duh, easy answer. The Holy Spirit was telling him he had to. See, do you ever think about this question? Why did Jesus, why was he given the Holy Spirit? I mean, he was son of God. Why didn't Jesus do one miracle until the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him? See, you might know the kenosis doctrine of Philippians, and we can teach that at some point in time. But Jesus emptied himself, came to this earth, and lived it the same way that we're instructed to live it. He was our model. And he depended upon the Holy Spirit. Same with the church of Acts. They, they could not do one thing until the Holy Spirit came. See, the Holy Spirit's our helper, and I've said it before. We can't pull off God's agenda without the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you try, you will be a horrible failure. When we pray, we're told to pray in the Spirit. Or don't pray at all. Let the Holy Spirit come and help me pray. We're to be guided by the Spirit. Sometimes we're to be shut up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we get on caffeine, that's a big chore for the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you. See, sometimes when we pray, we need to pray shorter prayers. If you're around me any length of time, you're going to find something out about me. I don't like long prayers. I say it all the time, very short, to the point. I, I, I won't pray very long. But sometimes we need to pray shorter prayers, say not as much stuff, but believe in the Holy Spirit to anoint those. I mean, let me give you the example again on that airplane one day going from Bakersfield to L.A., I had prayed that day. I said, God, today my mind is free. I don't have to study in anything. Please sit somebody beside me that I'm supposed to witness to. And before the plane took off, there was nobody by me. And I thought, you're going to let me down, God? And the guy in the back says, I, don't, I get sick back here. I need to be in the front. He goes up. And his name was Ivan. And he says, hi, how are you? I said, I'm fine. My name's Ron. He says, what are you up to, Ron? And I said, just waiting for you. <laughs> God told me you would be sitting here. That's all it took. He started crying. Right there, just that little phrase. But it was anointed by God. See, can I tell you at the outset, there's going to be times the Holy Spirit says, don't share your faith with them. Don't. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, if you share your faith with them, it's going to hurt more the cause. They're not ready yet. You'll run them off. We've got to be guided by the Spirit. Today, I go to the gym early in the morning at 6 o'clock, and today I wasn't witnessing anybody, man, because God had a different plan. He wanted my mind on this. Look at verse 5 through 8. He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, probably noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. She said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. All the disciples were gone. One was still there. Do you know which one was still there? John, obviously. He told the story line for line. He had to be there. A fly on the wall. Now, again, I'm cutting through this. And I don't want to say things I've said before. But a conversation begins in verse 9. And it all started with one sentence. Give me a drink. We are initiators, my friend. God can't do anything if you're not an initiator. Now, how do you know when maybe God's in a conversation? You'll say one thing, and they keep coming back, and you go, uh-oh, 
This could be cool. This could be going somewhere. So she responded. She kept the conversation going. Now look at verse 13, 14. She answered and said, Jesus answered and said to her, every single person who drinks of this water that you're drinking will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now he said, whoever drinks this water, these will be the results. In Isaiah 58, it says, whoever gives to these widows and orphans and helps them and helps the needy, this will be the results. It doesn't just say this is for every Christian. If you do this, this will be the results. If you're involved in ministry, this will be the results. It's amazing how my day is different on those days when I drink of the well in the morning and I get all girded up for the day. See, when I drink of the well continuously, my ministry becomes organic. It's not forced. Mm. Let me finish the story because we've got somewhere to go. And he looks at this lady, and Jesus knows, he knows, but he says, uh, and I can see him smiling and winking. He says, uh, go get your husband. She says, what? I, I don't know if he said this or not. I was like, you know. He says, I know. You've already been married five times. And the sixth one you're living with is not your husband. In other words, you've broken up probably five families. You're breaking up another one now. You're a bear cat to live with. And the conversation continues. So they're conversing now. Look at verse 25, 26. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, oh, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall here. I who speak to you am he. Man, every hair in her neck had to stand up. What? I who you're speaking to, I'm he. Can you imagine? The Son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah, and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm trying to process all this. Whoa! You're him. She got so excited, she left her water pot. And she came to all the men of the city. They're the ones that knew her well. And she said, and she exaggerated. She says, I have just met a man who told me all things I've ever done. He didn't do that. But she was so pumped. Now, I kind of live a pumped lifestyle. Like right now, I don't have time to tell you, but I'm praying for a miracle, a miracle. It has nothing to do with my cancer or anything like that, but a miracle in my life, and I'm fully expecting to receive it. I'll be shocked if I don't receive it. It's a miracle. There's no other way about it. I kind of stay pumped, but Paul did too. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.13. I love this verse. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. But if we're of sound mind, it's for you. Now, before I give you the Greek word here, Paul is saying something. He said, man, when I come to you, I'm so excited, I have to bring myself down three levels so I can, so I can start talking to you. Look at the Greek definition of the phrase. It says, thrown into wonderment, astounded, insane, out of your mind, bewitched. 
Paul said, I live like this. People say, I'm insane because I'm so crazy for God, and I have all these God stories, and just, you know. He said, but I have to bring it down when I, when I come to teach you. Now, the disciples go get some food. They bring it back, and they tell Jesus, they said, Are, aren't you hungry? And he, he compares this whole scenario. He says, no, you don't get it. He said, I am so filled up right now by doing God's will that it's like I've eaten three In-N-Out burgers and two fries and a milkshake. He said, I am satisfied. My wife hates to be with me when I get involved in ministry because I'll go 10 hours without eating. I get so excited. and She'll go, run, I'm starving. Take time out to eat. Verse 35 through 38. Do you not say, now he goes on, Jesus goes on. He's already done the whole thing with a woman. She's went away. She's brought the men back. They've all hopefully got saved or at least got this encounter with Jesus. And he says to the disciples, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look in the fields. They're already white for harvest. Already he who reaps is reaping wages. Now look, this is saying something to us. He says, when you're doing the Lord's work and winning lost souls, you're getting wages already right now. You're getting paid back in this life. You're being blessed for doing it. And it's gathering fruit for eternal, and gathering fruit for eternal life. Both. You get blessed now and then. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. We're going to be blessed. Read Isaiah 58. It says, if you go out and do all, you'll be blessed. That's what it says. Man, it gives you the specific blessings in Isaiah 58. You get involved in soul winning. You get out helping the lost, help the hurting, and you watch what I will do. He says, I'll become the God you've always wanted in your life. I will become that God. We're the initiators. Say with me, we're the initiators. You're, you're being blessed as much as you want to be blessed. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. It's a high. Now, in the story, we see a domino effect. She went back to the men in the city. They come to Jesus. As a result of that, their families were probably affected. Their, grand, their parents were affected. It was, it was a domino effect. We don't hear much about Mr. Kimball. Mr. Kimball, in 1858, was a just a Sunday school teacher of a little, little, little kid's Sunday school. But one day God led him to go witness to a shoe store salesman named D.L. Moody. And he, when he tells a story, he said, man, I was outside, I was sweating bullets, I've never done anything like this before, but I'm going to be obedient to God. He went in and won D.L. Moody to the Lord. D.L. Moody became a very famous evangelist. He led Frederick Meyer to God. Frederick Meyer was teaching at a Christian college. He led Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Wilbur worked for the YMCA, and he mentored Billy Sunday. And the list goes on. Jesus went to a sinful lady. Garth Brooks would love this. He went to a sinful lady who had friends in low places. Isn't that amazing how God is drawn to people with friends in low places? Some of you. You know, I love it in the Bible. Levi, one of the disciples, he starts following Jesus, and he has a party at his house, and he invites all of his filthy, nasty, vile, sinner friends and invites the apostles too. I would have liked to have been on a fly on wall there. 
possible. Yeah, you know, we were casting demons out of people. All these guys, what? Demon, what? You know, another one's over there saying, man, multiply the bread. What? You know, it, it, it just, some of you need to have parties. <laughs> invite four of your most godly friends and invite every vile sinner you know. And then just put them together and sit back and watch. Watch what happens. See, I think it's very, very important that we see this, that you can't condemn people and save them at the same time. You can't. And the church does an awfully good job condemning people. You heard our last Off the Mountain podcast. We, we talked about the transgender agenda today. And basically we said, if you're adults and you want to move that way, you move that way. You have a right to live however you want to live. If you don't want to live with God and you want to miss God and, and, and miss out in eternity, you have a right to do that. But don't mess with our kids. Don't mess with our kids. You mess with our kids and you're going to wake up a sleeping giant. Kids are not old enough to make these decisions. Duh, I'm going to say more about it in a minute. And so, I'm telling you, we can't condemn the people. You walk in here a transgender, I don't care if you're a gangster, prostitute, one of the biggest, we will love you with everything we have. We love everybody the same here. And you notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, he didn't even get on to her. For being in a very adulterous way. He didn't, even, he didn't get on to her at all. He just basically said, start drinking of this water and everything will work out. Start drinking of this water. You don't have to clean up before you come to God. Come to God, spend time with him, and he'll clean you up. It's by his power. We got to go back and look at John chapter 3. John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The scribes of the Pharisee movement, these were guys that were very intelligent. They studied the Old Testament law, they studied the oral laws, and then they came up with the rules that you had to keep because of the laws. And they came up with 613 rules. Now, because these rules were so extensive, they were rules some of the Pharisees couldn't even keep. See, I, I refuse to sit behind my desk being a happily married man, telling somebody got divorced they can never marry again, unless I have scripture for it. See, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to enforce on you rules that I can't even keep. We've got to have God's grace. We've got to have his grace. Well, lo and behold, these 630 rules that they came up with were very tedious. 365 were negative, 248 were positive. So the Pharisees, knowing they couldn't keep all these rules, they came up with loopholes. For example, on the Sabbath, you couldn't light a fire, you couldn't drive a wagon. On the Sabbath, you could only go, I think, like 3,000 feet from your house. That's all you were allowed to travel. So if they wanted to do some fun things on the Sabbath day, what they would do is take a rope and lengthen their hallway about 3,000 feet. They'd call it their hallway. Then they'd put a tent up and put a few donuts in there. Say, this is my second house, so I got another 3,000 feet. And they'd keep doing that. We're even told that if your house was burning down, 
On the Sabbath, you couldn't carry clothes out because that'd be working, but you could dress and put on four layers of clothes and walk out. I wonder how many guys got burnt to the ground by trying to put all those clothes on. In light of this, the Lord has said this in the Message Bible, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Then come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It would wear me out just memorizing the 613 rules or laws. See, some churches today are still operating this way. They have all of their laws and their rules. I'm a Christian. You can't go to a movie show. You can't dance. You can't drink champagne at a, at a wedding reception. Uh, some even say women can't shave their legs. Men can't wear short sleeve shirts. There's churches in town that believe in that stuff. I asked him what he asked. What? I said, why can't men wear short sleeve shirts? They said, well, it's their, their, their elbows. What? <laughs> elbows might turn a woman on. I said, if an elbow turns a woman on, they need deliverance. They got something really wrong with them. I never seen an elbow yet, and I go, woo, woo. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I don't mean to make fun of them. I just make fun of their belief. We love them. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody, but I just, it just came out. I don't understand it. Mixed swimming. My wife raised an ultra Pentecostal the boys had to swim it all at one time, and the girls had to swim another time. Uh, gamble, makeup, you know, women can't wear makeup. I mean, a lot of churches have all these rules. Uh, I know a pastor, years back, he was a oneness pastor, and he preached against television, but he kept one in his closet to pull out when something was on he wanted to watch. <laughs> Hypocrite. Look at verse 2. And this man, this Nicodemus, this, this Pharisee came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Two scenarios, they are, debate this a lot. Why did he come at night? Some people believe that because they were so busy during Passover season, the Nicodemus, the Pharisee, would be teaching all during the day. Jesus would be busy, and that might be one reason why he came at night. But I think the main reason is, I think that he didn't want to be seen going to Jesus until he investigated this thing a little more. I mean, Nicodemus, he had a maid in the shade. He, was, he had all the money he needed. He had influence, respect. He had a life of comfort. He was a big religious big shot. He didn't want people seeing him go to this revolutionary 30-year-old Jesus. He said, I think I'll go by night where nobody sees me until I figure this thing out. But the idea I want you to see here is this man who was a top religious figure. I mean, he had all the money. He had the, the nice, you know, if he lived in today's economy, he'd have, have the best, nicest cars. He had everything going. He just, but he was still empty. Who am I talking to? He was still empty. When he saw Jesus, he saw something he's never seen before. And he admired it. And it caused something to awaken inside of him going, that's what I need. Pray for us because we're going back doing our pastors' conferences again, and we got several pastors from, I think, Michigan, 
uh, Texas, I don't know what states are for, they're all landing tomorrow. And we're doing a pastor's retreat. And pray for us the next three days that God will do what he's done before. As I mentor these pastors, that they'll come to life. We've seen about 50, 60 pastors come all the United States, and they're so depressed, they're so hurt, they're so burnt when they get here, and when they leave by the power and grace of God, they can't wait to get back to their churches. We want the same thing to happen. Rick Warren wrote the book Purpose Driven Life that sold millions of copies. Some, at one point, it was selling, I think, a million a month. One of the most popular books to ever hit the market. And why was it so popular? Because people want purpose. Purpose Driven Life was the name of the book. See, there's people today that, same old, same old. They get up in the morning, go through Starbucks drive through and get your, you know, your skinny latte and your egg bites. <laughs> Turn the radio on the same station, go to work. Get to work, do your thing, come home, look at your social media, watch, you know, American Idol, Gripe at the wife a little bit, put the kids to bed, get up the next day, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. That's not living, that's existing. So these people go, we want purpose. Now, look at verse 3 through 8. Jesus answered, said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus scratched his head and said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his second time in his mother's womb? I don't get it. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, the water represents the water sack, that's natural childbirth, and the Spirit, that's the second birth, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And it proves it here. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that's the water sack, that's first birth, natural childbirth, and then you have to be born the second time, which is the spiritual birth, you have to be born twice. And he said, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, here's the part I want you to see. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but don't know where it comes from, or you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, you can't see the wind, can you? You can't see where it's coming from. You can't see where it's going. It's not visible, but you can see what it does. I asked Mike Maggard if I could share this with you. Mike and I, when we out of high school, we worked together at Thrifty Mart Supermarket. And if you remember, uh, if you're old-time Eastsider, up here in East Bakersfield, it used to be Thrifty Mart Supermarket, and the Thrifty Drug Store was right down in the same mall. Do you, anybody remember that? And we worked for Thrifty Mart Supermarket, which was kind of like a Vons. And I was a clerk and box boy, and he was a box boy. And I got many stories of Mike boxing my groceries, and we had fun. But I remember one day, Mike took a lady's cart out of groceries, and the wind was blowing hard. And it blew a lady's wig off and blew it all the way down to Thrifty Drugstore. <laughs> and Mike ran down, got the wig, brought it back and gave it to her. She put it in her head and doggone if it didn't blow it off again. And it went to Pipkins <laughs> that time. Mike ran down and got it and he came back. He says, ma'am, aren't you supposed to have little pins that pins us on your head or something? <laughs> you don't see the wind, but you see what it does. See, Sometimes you go in that back room, you raise your hand for salvation, and you pray the prayer, Holy Spirit, come into my body, I want to be born again today. And, and maybe you don't feel anything. And you come out going, well, I prayed the prayer. Hold on, you will start seeing the wind blow. You will. 
When I gave my life to God in my bedroom, I gave, gave, him to my, I gave God my life. I said, come in, take it. I don't want you. I want to give my life to you. And I didn't feel anything dramatic. And the next morning I got him. I said, man, I've been saved one day and I'm discouraged. I don't know what to do. I went to work. I wasn't there five minutes till the pastor where we went to church at came by and said, God told me to come and encourage you. And I go, what? How did you know that? I started seeing the wind blow. Now, I'm going to give you five results of being born again. I'm going to go real fast. We've got to be out of here in less than 12, 13 minutes. These are things that were absent in your life before you were born again, but now they're present. The first one is conviction of heart. Look at 1 John 2, 20, 21. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. When we talk about this age and the horrible stuff that's going out there, political stuff, social issues, the transgender movement, all this stuff, is it wrong? You know. No one has to tell you. You know. Say with me, I know. You can't deny it because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so once we get born again, you will know you're saved because your convictions will begin to change. A new sensitivity to what is wrong is inside of you. Secondly, change. There will be change in your life. Look at 1 John 2.29. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I continue to see the changes over the years in my life. Young men, hang on. Young women, I mean, I don't have any any lust in my heart like I used to when I was young. It, it's gone. I mean, it's not, you know, you're still tempted maybe, but it, it, I don't have it. I, I, materialism is dissipating. I don't have that anymore. Hatred for the world's ways is increasing. I'm just changing so much. Every two or three years I look back and go, man, I'm changing. I'm not the same guy. Thirdly, courage. It says in Romans 1.16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed to pray in public. I, I'm not ashamed of this lifestyle. And you shouldn't be there because it's the power of God. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke to you about Jesus being our Savior. What does a Savior do? He saves people. Jesus is saving us. He's already saved us from, from eternity, being lost in eternity, but He saves us all through this life. And I told you the different ways that Jesus has saved me since I've been saved. He saved me premature death. He saved me from all kinds of things. But in order for Him to save you, He must be Lord. And that word Lord means master and owner. You can't be saved if he's not Lord. Let me make this real practical. Some of you men out there today, especially, maybe women too, God's wanting to save you from the heartache of losing your marriage and your kids. But he's not going to be able to save you from that if you don't obey him. He's been telling you for months, stop the pornography, get healed, and you're not listening. He's been telling you for months, stop getting drunk, come on, and you're not listening. If you continue to not listen, you will 
possibly lose your marriage. And he can't save you from that if he's not Lord, master, owner. Some of you, you know what? God wants to save you from premature death. But if you don't listen to him, he's been telling you and telling you, clean up your diet, start exercising, stop eating all this fast food, stop eating maybe red meat, whatever. If you're not listening, he can't save you. He's got to be Lord, master, owner. He's convicting you. I go on. I lost my career. Why? You were unequally yoked with a non-believer. It's right here, page 1993. Be not unequally yoked with non If you don't listen to God, he can't save you. If you do listen to him, he'll be saving you continuously and giving you victory. He will lead you in the path of victory if you will listen to him. Oh, I think I'll do this for a living. I get excited. <laughs> Number four, you'll have compassion that you didn't have before. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I'm getting so tenderhearted. I was walking at the mall the other day, and I saw an elderly lady cleaning, and she's like my age, and my heart broke. She's too old to be doing this. Gosh, and she looked like a hard worker. I've still got something to do with that. But... Off the Mountain podcast this week is How We Love. You might want to listen. My wife came to me the other day, and we're growing together, and she looked at me and said, Ron, there's a little girl in our church. She's five years old, goes to kindergarten, and she has to go with holes in her shoes. My wife started crying. She stood there crying and said, Ron, we got to do something. We got to do something. Can I give this family some money? I said, give them some money. By all means. And it's going to continue to grow. Your love's going to continue to grow. It'll never stop growing. And, and last, conflict. You're going to have conflict you never had before. Matthew 5, 11, 12 in the Message Bible, I like it. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. <laughs> For though they don't like, like it, I do. And all heaven applauds you. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble before. You'll have enemies you never had before when you got saved. Demons, atheists, agnostic. You'll have people that'll start hating you who didn't hate you before just because you're a believer. Now, I'm going to bring this to an end, but listen to me, gang. We have to fulfill the divine calling without us not liking ourselves. We've got to be able to do this without becoming obnoxious. How do we do it? Number one, by seeing that people come to God through a process of events, and you can be anywhere in that process. You don't have to go out and make people pray the prayer. Just do little things that the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, and you're a part of the process. You're watering. You're planting seeds. See, in 1 Corinthians, it says one person plants, one person waters, one person reaps. I came to the Lord through my mom praying for me. My brother invited me to church. Dick Vickstrom came to me to read the Bible to me, and then Bob Hensley came and claimed me for Christ. It was a process of events. They all had a part. Sometimes you're just called to plant a seed. That's it. Just be part of the journey. Number two, be prepared to be the reaper. Now, this is what I want to say something to you about. 
Some people have never led anybody to Christ. And I'm not condemning you, saying you have to do it. We're all going to heaven. I'm just challenging you to go to another level. But see, sometimes, very often, you're going to be the one to reap the harvest. You're going to have to have courage. Eight words given to somebody out there could change their life. John, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Mary, I just want to ask you a question. Seven words even. Tom, Jose, have you given your life to God? Boy, those can be powerful words. Powerful. Sometimes people are just one step away from God. They're waiting for somebody to ask them, are you bold enough to lead somebody? I mean, on January 1st, 2010, a law went into effect in Texas that required the Department of Public Safety clerks to ask all driver's license applicants if they wish to become an organ donor. Because they did, it doubled the number of registered organ donors in Texas. Just because they asked the question, it doubled them. People were waiting to be asked. And number three, live your life in front of them. And I'm not going to do those verses in Matthew. We're out of time. Tell them your God stories. Share Christian songs that you hear. Pray for people, you know, in the lunchroom. Just, just live the life before them. And number four, and, and forgive me for phrasing this way, but love the hell out of them. I use that because, you know, one time years ago, I was telling Pastor Jim, I said, you know what? We just love the hell out of people. We laugh, laugh, laugh. I go to Vegas to our church over there, and on the big sign it says, VB, uh, where we love the hell out of people. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> he took me seriously. <laughs> oh! When I took back over, I said, get that sign down. I want it down now. You're going to attract every cuckoo in Vegas. <laughs> We're to walk in when everybody else walks out. Gang, we've been given the message of eternal life. We can't keep it to ourselves. To do so would be the most selfish thing in the world. What if you found a gold mine in the mountains up here? A gold mine that had billions and billions and billions of dollars of gold, way more than, 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 than you could ever handle. Wouldn't you be calling your loved one and say, hey, meet me at Starbucks today. I mean today. I don't care what you're doing. I got something to tell you. Let me rephrase it. What if I said, I know somebody that will give you $1,000 for every person that you share the gospel with. I bet a lot of you start sharing the gospel a lot. But does that mean that money means more to you than obeying God? Hmm. See, a pastor one day was passing a big department store, and all of a sudden he had an impulse to go into the store and talk to the owner about salvation. So he goes in and he sees the owner. He says, man, can I talk to you for five minutes? It's really important. He says, sure, I got five minutes. He says, I've come here a lot of times to talk to you about carpet, about bookcases, about beds, but I never talked to you about Christ. And for about 20 minutes, he starts sharing verses with him and telling him how much God loved him. After a few minutes, this older store owner. He said, I'm 70 years old now. He said, I was born in this city. I've done business with many pastors and many Christians over the years, but no one has 
ever talk to me about my soul except you. Wow. I pray right now that God will lay somebody on your heart. Right now. Right now. Just lay somebody on your heart. That we've got to start praying for their salvation. Your part is praying. It's planting seeds. It's watering seeds. But guys, we've got to be about business. We've got to be about business. I'm going to close with these words in just a second. I'm going to, let me play a video first. You know, we're a mess. We're always being saved by God's grace. Take a look at this video right here. There we are. <laughs> that's us, and that's God. Okay, we're going to end. Did you hear God today? It's time to wake up, church. I'm not telling you to be a goofball. I'm not telling you to go out there and be obnoxious and shove Jesus down everybody's throat. I'm telling you to live the moment, be sensitive plant seeds, water seeds. If you feel there at the place, I pray some of you in the next two weeks will have the boldness to say, have you ever given your life to Jesus? I can lead you right now. Did you know in the first service we had 25 people get up and go to the back and receive Jesus as our Savior? This is not normal, gang. Right now I'm going to say a simple prayer. Father God, sweep over this place and give people the courage to make a decision for you today. You want to save their marriages. You want to save their kids. You want to save their lives, but they've got to listen to you. Your Lord, your master owner, you know what they're supposed to be doing. If you're here today and you've never given your life to God, you can't remember a time and date when I said, God, you don't have to remember the time and date, but you don't remember a time when you've given your life to God. Would you do me a favor right now? And you might say, Ron, it wasn't that great of a sermon, but I've been knowing I need to do this. And right now, I don't care what my spouse thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I need to get right with God. And if I don't do it today, I won't do it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I'm not ashamed of the fact I need God and I want him. Raise it high. Raise it high. Come on. Raise it up. Raise it up. Raise it up. Come on. Let God see it. Don't be ashamed of him. Come on. Get it up. Now, if you mean it, do, do you mean it? Brother, you mean it. You lead the way. Come right here with Hector. Come, this brother's going to lead the way. Come on, just follow him to the back. He's going to pray with you. You know what? God's going to use you, buddy. God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. This guy was already standing up. He's ready to go, man. Yeah, just go right back with him. Hector will lead him back. Tony, lead him right back there in the back. You're going to seal the deal. If you meant it, give, they're going to seal the deal with you. Go back and you'll leave here a different person. Come on, come on. Everybody raise their hands. Everybody raise their hands. Come on. If you raise your hands, take it all the way now. Take it all the way. Even if you didn't raise your hand, look at the person next to you and say, I'm going to stand up. Shove me. Shove me in the right direction. I don't know who that first guy was, but he had changed. He just he was ready to go for. I even said it. These people are going to go home.
affect their parents, affect their spouses, affect their cousins. You Hispanic people, you got big families. You take up whole rows. Praise God. Did you receive something today? I'm telling you, you pay for the second service. I'm always eight minutes longer. But that's okay. It's supposed to be out at 12.15. It's 12.15. I love you. I want you to be careful out there. I've seen two people blow through red lights this week. Look both ways, okay? Love you. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our